and what I also love about the expert role is that it allows you to pursue a passion around a topic kind of with multiple clients from multiple angles over many different years. I think that's also really important for our own professional development as experts, that our expertise, to your point, does not stay static and based on what we came into the role with, that it also expands and morphs a bit based on our casework. That's Todd Sangster, an expert associate partner in our San Francisco office, and Erin Ney, an expert senior manager in our Boston office. They're talking about their role as healthcare experts, what it has meant for their career paths, and how they engage with their case teams and clients to make an impact with their expertise. I'm Keith Bevins, a partner and global head of consultant recruiting at Bain & Company, and this is Beyond the Bio. It's a podcast that shares the stories of our extraordinary people from their perspectives. You can read their bios online, but those barely scratch the surface of who they are and the important work they're doing here at Bain. Today, we'll talk with Todd and Aaron about their backgrounds in science and medicine and their paths to and within Bain, Bain's expert program and the unique role they play on our teams and with our clients, and Bain's healthcare practice and how they've been able to use their expertise and backgrounds directly in our client work. Todd and Aaron, welcome. It's good to talk with both of you. Thanks, Keith. As we always start on the podcast, uh, I think it's always helpful to just for people to hear your backgrounds and hear your stories. Erin, maybe we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about your your academic journey. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to college? What was the plan when you started out? Sure. Um, So I grew up in Vermont near Burlington and went to Williams College and actually came to Bain as an associate consultant out of Williams. That was a deviation from my plan originally. I went to Williams gung-ho pre-med, fully expecting to go to medical school right after college. And I finished my pre-med courses in two years and was getting ready to take my MCATs and then kind of hit the pause button because I was concerned that perhaps I could not be the future physician and mother that I wanted to be while doing both of those, um, while doing a career in medicine. And so your, your fallback for a more sustainable lifestyle job was to be a management consultant. <laughs> maybe that's just naivete at that point in my life. Maybe, maybe just a little bit. So you came to Bain as an AC, did you, uh, which office did you start in Boston? I did. Yep. Great. I started in Boston when we were still over in Copley and, and I loved it. I felt that I was getting paid to get a business education. I was a biology major. I had taken one econ class by the time I came to Bain. And so, yeah, I felt like I was getting paid to get a business education and was loving the people that I was working with. But I will say I was at Bain for about six months and that lifestyle decision probably came into play a little bit more in that I saw people who were working, you know, equally as hard as I would be in a career in medicine, even at advanced stages in their careers. And for me, um, at that point in my life, the thing that I felt most drawn to and compelled to do and to work that hard for was to practice medicine. And so where did that take you? So from there, you're in AC for a little while, but I know that you ended up going back to medical school. When did you make that decision and what was that transition like? Were people supportive when you told them that you were going to take a hard right turn? People were. I feel like now we have a few ACs every year who consider medical school. Um, when I did, it wasn't that common. And so, but people were incredibly supportive. I had support so that I could have time to take my MCATs. I had support so that I could do my interviewing when I needed to. And ultimately, I think my Bain colleagues were really supportive and really proud. And I left after two years and went to medical school at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. 
and stayed there and did my internal medicine residency there and a chief residency there year before I um, went on to practice as an academic internal medicine. And how long did you end up practicing medicine for? So I practiced medicine as an attending for about seven years, but my total clinical career was probably a little bit more than 10 years. And I practiced both at Penn and at Jefferson. And then when we moved to the Boston area, practiced primary care for a community practice affiliated with Tufts. Really awesome. So we'll pick that journey up again in a minute. But Todd, I want to come to you because you had a, a little bit of a different path. You weren't practicing medicine, you weren't a doctor, but you also have a healthcare, health sciences background. Can you talk us a little bit through your journey? Yeah, sure. So originally I'm from Colorado and I went to Harvard as an undergrad. I was a biochemical science uh, major. And yeah, certainly in college, uh, if you'd asked me, what are you, where are you going to be in 20 years? I'd have said, well, I'm going to be a professor of uh, you know, biology at, at a major university. And so from Harvard, I went on to the University of Chicago and did a, a PhD in genetics. Um, but during, during grad school, I found that I really, really, really loved science. But getting from a, an idea to a result is a very long, long, long process. And so if, if you have a lot of ideas, um, you actually have to ignore most of them because otherwise you'll start everything and you'll, you'll get nothing done. And so I found that I wanted something, you know, I wanted a career in a place with a, a more fast-paced environment from uh, idea to result, but also where I could still apply the scientific method of have a hypothesis, let's get some data, let's test that hypothesis, and you come out and ideally have some action that, that we're going to take or something that really matters that, that we've proved through our work. And, and you know, that's what I, I found in consulting. So how did you end up going from your graduate studies into consulting? Because that's a path that we know, you know, being on the other side, that a lot of people actually take. But I think the population of advanced degree students that are out there don't think it's as common as it, as it actually is. How did you find your way to Bain and find your way into consulting? Gee, I, Bain, um, Bain had actually done work long, long, long time ago at the uh, uh, Science Institute I was doing my, my graduate studies at. And so some of the, the professors there, particularly my, my PhD advisor, knew some of the Bain partners. And so we started started talking. And, and first, I, I actually knew very little about consulting. But then gradually things developed and eventually I ended up applying to, to Bain and uh, joined the Boston office in, uh, in 2007. Uh, when I when I completed my PhD, and and when you joined Bain, did you join the healthcare practice? Did you know that you wanted to just do science and STEM and healthcare, or did you did you come at it from a different perspective? I actually came at it from a bit of a different perspective, where I I wanted to join as a just generalist consultant um, and get a wide variety of of case experiences. Um, you know, as, as a scientist, I'm, I'm the type of person who will pick up a copy of Nature and, you know, kind of read it from cover to cover because I'm interested in so many things. And so for my first three years at Bain, I did a, a variety of cases. You were healthcare, but, you know, I also worked in auto insurance and semiconductors and these other things, which gave me a, a good background in how to approach something as a business problem rather than a, a problem I have a whole lot of pre-existing knowledge about. Right. And after a couple of years in Boston, you also moved, 
if I remember correctly. Talk a little bit about that because a lot of people know somebody like me who stayed in one office their whole career. But I think if you talk to 10 different people at Bain, you'll hear 10 different journeys through Bain. uh, And that includes moving offices. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2009, my wife got a uh, postdoc position in San Francisco. And so I, I transferred out to the San Francisco office. And at that point, I, I met two um, of the, the partners in San Francisco who focused deeply on pharma. And just kind of personally, we, we hit it off. And at, at that point, I, I decided that I wanted to specialize quite a bit more deeply in healthcare, particularly pharma. And so I worked quite closely with those, those partners for the next five years or so through promotion to senior manager um, and an associate partner. And then in, in 2014, my wife again got a, a professor job at uh, the University of Utah. And so I moved to Salt Lake City. And in conjunction with that, I went into um, what's now a, a, an expert role um, within the healthcare practice which has allowed me to, to get a, uh, even more broad experience um, within pharma and within healthcare um, since, uh, since 2014. Really cool. And, and before we get into the expert program and the work you both are doing with our clients, Aaron, uh, after practicing medicine for a while, you ended up back at Bain. And so what was the, what was the path back? Uh, we've had several people on the podcast that have left Bain, uh, and just when they thought they were out, we pulled them back in. Uh, and after sounds like close to a decade away, uh, you ended up coming back. Did you just decide that lifestyle jobs weren't for you and you needed a, an easier change of pace or was there something different? Yeah, and it was even more than a decade. It was about 15 years away. And then, um, you know, for me, it was, I was practicing medicine and I love clinical medicine. Um, I love thinking about it intellectually, but I also really love thinking about the business of healthcare. And for me in particular, how do we deliver higher quality care at a lower cost? And again, for me in particular, in in the ambulatory setting, because that's where I was practicing. So I was starting to think about making some changes in my career so that I could focus on that and focus on answering those questions. And so I considered lots of different roles. I considered being a medical director at an independent physicians association. I considered joining a startup. And then I was actually at dinner with a bunch of my former ACs celebrating one of their birthdays. And one of the people there was Suzanne Roeder, who was my co-AC and who was the director of business operations in Boston at the time. And I told her that I, that I was going to maybe cast a wide net um, with consulting firms because, and think about kind of that expert role and think about what was out there. And she said, wait, 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 wait. Like we, we have roles at Bain like this. And, um, and she said, and it's different than when you were an AC. And we have a very well-developed healthcare practice, and you should really come see what we have now. And so it's because of Suzanne that I came back, and and I'm so glad that I do. And and I will say for me also, you know, it was a big thing emotionally to leave the practice of medicine after I had been working so hard to do that. And um, and also just how I saw myself at that time was as a doctor, right? And so to leave that and think about how that how that then translates into a future career. And so actually coming back to Bain actually made that feel safer, like a safer transition, because it was a place where I felt like I already knew and was well aligned with the culture and the people and where I had done well before. And so it just, it felt like a much safer transition. Right. And and when you 
we're keeping in touch with Suzanne, who we probably need to have on the podcast someday too, because she's done some really awesome stuff here. Whose birthday were you celebrating? Was it one of your families? Was this an annual thing that you got together with your AC class? I'm still in touch with my AC class. We're in a fantasy football league together. Uh, so we've kept in touch for the last 25 years. But you were still going out to birthday celebrations with your AC class from 15 years so ago? So a handful of us, there were five or six of us there celebrating one of our co-ACs birthdays. And so, yes, 13 years later, I don't know how long that was, yeah, um, that we were all still celebrating. So yes, you're right. That's a pretty special relationship as well. Very cool. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the healthcare practice, because within our practice, you know, our client teams are working with clients in pharma and med tech and healthcare payers and delivery systems across a whole spectrum of things. We're doing strategy, we're doing operations, org work, M&A work. Um, and as a former healthcare partner, I've done work across the sector in a lot of different areas as well. But I want to talk about the roles that you're both playing as experts within the practice. And Todd, maybe we can start with you. Can you share a little bit with people listening about what the expert role is at Bain and, and what that means for your career path and the way you're engaging with our teams and with our clients to make an impact? Sure. So for one, I am client-facing. I will be at the client site, in, in the client meetings, et cetera. And that helps where I'm fluent in the client's language of science and can really engage with the client at a much deeper level than the, the team would otherwise be able to. Yeah, and then the big second part of my job is uh, really building the capabilities of the case team um, and being able to bring them up to speed on what do they need to know about the science or whatever technical area of farm R&D we, we might be looking at. And there's very, very smart people at Bain, and a month or two into the project, they, they probably know even more than I do about what they're specifically looking about at, but it's accelerating their knowledge and really being able to focus them on what are the key issues here in that first part of the project is the expertise there that I can bring to bear. What I also love about the expert role is that it allows you to pursue a passion around a topic kind of with multiple clients from multiple angles over many different years. And, you know, here, if I can and tell a story as an example, you know, I'd, I'd talk a bit about lung cancer. So, you know, terrible, terrible disease, you know, very low five-year survival. And I first worked on a lung cancer project in 2011. And, you know, there, what the first therapies, which were targeting specific genetic mutations, had just come out. And there, if, if the patient has that mutation and they get the right therapy, they have better outcomes. But what we found at that time is that most patients eligible for these therapies weren't actually getting the right one. So why? Well, each of these required a separate genetic diagnostic, and you just didn't have enough tissue to go around to, to run all these diagnostics to actually get the patient the right drug. Well, that's a problem. And you can't just go and get more tissue because, you know, this is a lung cancer biopsy, and you're literally puncturing the patient's lung to get that tissue. So the solution had to be to, we got to combine these diagnostics together and not actually be competing for this tissue. Well, in, in 2011, that technology really wasn't immediately available. And even if you had the technology, there's other barriers such as, you know, getting it to the docks and paying for it, um, et cetera. 
But this is a topic where over the last decade, I've actually had the opportunity to work uh, on it from different angles in over 10 different projects with different clients. And, and so obviously I can't work for direct competitors, but this is an issue where it needs a full industry solution. And so I've worked with companies from pharma to diagnostics, to informatics, to pharma services shops, as well as investors who you know, have the money to turbocharge the whole thing. And so end result is today, nearly all payers will pay for a lung cancer patient to get a single diagnostic panel, which will test for all the relevant genetic markers and we also have panels which don't even require a tissue biopsy. They just use a blood draw and can do the same thing. And so now patients at a much, much, much higher rate are getting the most effective drug for their specific tumor. And you know, I'm a consultant. I, I, I can't take credit for any of the underlying te technical advances here. I haven't picked up a pipette in years. But here I can certainly hope that I've contributed by raising awareness of the problem and then helping to get a whole range of stakeholders aligned around a solution and marching together in, in, you know, in the right direction. And you know, here, the next frontier is being able to detect cancer much, much earlier. Again, because I'm, I'm in an expert role and can kind of move around, I certainly hope, look forward to being involved in that part of the journey as well. Yeah, what's been neat for me watching the expert program develop over the last decade has been you know, seeing people come in with really deep expertise in a particular area. And then we actually broaden their expertise in a way across different sectors, different parts of the chain, excuse me, to the point where you may not be as deep as the R&D expert at a pharma company but you're probably pretty close, but you're also well-versed in the supply chain. You're well-versed in you know, how it's getting administered. You're well-versed in some of the retail and provider environments where you know, vaccines are being administered and treatments are being delivered and things like that in a way where your expertise ends up broadening sort of by default, even though you have you know, specific areas that you spike. It's a, it's a really neat role uh, and, and it brings a unique value to the case teams as well. I think that's also, can I, Keith, I was going to say, I think that's also really important for our own professional development as experts, that our expertise, to your point, does not stay static and based on what we came into the role with, that um, it also expands and morphs a bit based on our casework um, and our interactions with our clients and our case teams. Yeah. And Erin, let, let's talk about that a little bit, because as a clinician, you bring a, a very different skill set than a lot of MBAs do. We were working in different industries, different sectors, but a lot of times it can feel somewhat removed from, you know, arguably like saving people's lives on a daily basis and working on very personal and very um, sometimes emotional and, and, and difficult challenges that your patients are dealing with. How, did, how are you using your clinical experience as an expert at Bain uh, in the work that we're doing? Yeah, so I think in a few ways. One is in particular just how I function on case teams, um, which in lots of ways is probably very similar to Todd, just with a different topic um, focus in that I really help our case teams understand both applications of clinical medicine and systems of care delivery. So practically how is care delivered in this country? And what I explain to often my case teams is that like, I don't add value on a case team because I have an MD after my name, sometimes I do. But the main, the main value that I add to my case teams is that I was a practicing physician. And so I understand the system. I understand for 
both the provider as well as the patient how that journey goes through the healthcare system, right? And I also understand then practically how the payer gets involved and what that looks like to the provider and the patient and how all those pieces need to work together. Um, you can also, you know, I do most of my work within our provider and payer sectors, but you can also then overlay where pharma comes into that in med tech, which I don't have as much depth there, but I think there's still, I think when, when we need the clinician point of view, um, I can certainly weigh in there as well. But I think that's the value that I add. It's not, most often it's not just because of my understanding of clinical medicine. It's because I understand how care is delivered. Yeah, and, and I've done a couple of healthcare provider projects over my time as a partner and an associate partner at Bain. And, and what you're describing makes so much sense. You're in a retail setting, you almost always get a panel of customers to give the customer experience. You know, In an industrial setting, you'll talk with the frontline workers on how the changes are going to affect the plant. But for some reason, in a healthcare setting, everybody who's been to a doctor sometimes forgets to ask you know, well, what is the customer here? Well, you need the doctor's perspective. You know, they went to school to practice medicine, not fill out your reports and play with your app. They're very mission-driven, right? And the idea that you could be more profitable isn't necessarily the primary motivator. And I think that perspective gets lost sometimes uh, when we're sort of doing the work and we're looking at the data and all of that. And there's a very human element that it sounds like you're injecting back into the case teams. Yeah. And, you know, just to speak about a case, you know, just... Some related to Todd, I um, was involved with a case at a national provider of both inpatient and outpatient care. And we were working with them on a broad transformation. But the piece that I was working with them on was thinking about how do we re- redesign our models of care delivery to restore the joy of caregiving? And in doing so, you reduce attrition, right? And you do end up you know, it does have cost savings and cost implications. Um, that is a, that in that role, I certainly contributed with the team and we did co-creation and brainstorming and thinking about what the answer was, but I was also very much client facing in that role and interacting with their attending physicians and their clinician leadership, their physician leadership, their nursing leadership to again, co-create this, this answer and get to a plan for how we redesign care in an inpatient setting to think about, interdisciplinary teams and elevating every member of the care team to be operating um, at the highest level of their license and, you know, all of that. But the consultant on the team, the first meeting that we were in, she stopped and she's like, you and the other, in the physician lead, she's like, you're just finishing each other's sentences. She's like, you have the same language. I was like, well, we have the same experience, right? We have that shared experience that many other people at Bain don't. And so that's actually, that's where I get to add value. Yeah, and I think a lot of people with advanced degrees, and we talk about this with Michael and Jackie um, in a different episode, uh, a lot of people with advanced degrees focus on the experience they don't have because they oftentimes didn't go to business school and and they don't spend enough time focusing on all the skills that they do bring uh, that we absolutely need at Bain. And, And both of your examples are sort of highlighting that for us, which is really, really cool. Let me ask a, another question related to some of the anecdotes you both told from your case teams. We're talking a lot about healthcare because that just happens to be where your expertise is. But do you feel like having that advanced degree gives you a certain level of street cred with the client that you you may not have had otherwise? I know every once in a while, you know, I have a master's in engineering, so I certainly didn't stay in school as long as either of you. But when I was working in technology, that just made me different than the rest of the team in a positive way. 
where the clients sort of say, okay, I know, you know, I know you have an MBA, but you understand what I mean, right? Do, do you find that in some ways you have that advanced degree, the letters after your name is an asset to you in, in your client experience? And maybe Todd, we can, we can start with you. And, but I, I'd like to hear from both of you on this, because I think that's something that makes a lot of people nervous. You know, what, what will I do when the client finds out I didn't go to business school? And I'm like, they might actually give you a hug. Yes, I think it definitely gives you um, a good degree of, of credibility. Part of it is just the shared experience. If I'm working with, you know, the scientists at the, the, uh, at the client, there's just a shared experience of going through a PhD and, you know, five to seven years of looking at a, a very, very, very specific topic that kind of ends up bonding people, you know, but I, beyond that, there's just because there's PhD after my name, folks know that I'm going to have a certain knowledge base relevant to the topic that I'm going to be able to bring to bear, even if it isn't directly related at all to my, my thesis and, you know, molecular mechanisms of uh, gene environment interaction. There's a much broader range of knowledge that you get from doing the PhD, which is going to be relevant. Fully agree with Todd. I think that, you know, I was joking earlier that the reason I add value is not just because of the MD after my name. Certainly sometimes it is, right? Like sometimes it is to show that we have that expertise and um, and that I, again, bring that understanding of clinical medicine and systems of care delivery. I think that is unique. And I think if we think about from an advanced degree perspective, right, we have so many people at Bain who can offer the MBA perspective and, um, and who've had that training. And we need to round that out because more and more our clients wanna see that we have that depth and that expertise. And so I think that's exactly what it does. It, it makes us more credible and it rounds us out. Right. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, as we're as we're recording this, we're still in the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit and get your perspective on how COVID-19 has changed the focus of the practice and and some of the work that we're doing inside Bain, because I know uh, from seeing you both speak to our office and in different forums and different publications, uh, we're working in various parts of the pandemic. And can you share a little bit about you know, how that's changed the nature of healthcare, the work that we're doing and, and, and the value that we're adding for our clients? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, part of that is just the, the direct work that we're doing on the, the pandemic, particularly in, in things like the, the supply chain for either uh, diagnostics or therapeutics. We're certainly done some work there, which I probably uh, probably can't discuss in detail. But there's also a range of a range of topics that we're bringing to the rest of our clients on you know one just how do you right now how do you manage your business through the the disruption but then also what are the the takeaways that you can actually apply going forward such as in yeah, in my area, there's a lot of the clinical trial enrollment um, was disrupted by by COVID as procedures stopped and and you know all our medical capacity goes to actually treating COVID patients. So a lot of that had to that clinical activity had to be moved virtual. There's been a range of solutions about in a clinical trial. How do you get drugs to the patient's home? How do you measure clinical outcomes with the patient at home? With our clients, there's a lot of learnings there, um, which can probably be moved forward and actually make clinical trials better in the future. 
Uh, and so, you know, I think you're thinking you're seeing a lot more of that thinking now of kind of what are the what are the good things which folks have done during the pandemic because they had to. Um, but there's a real learning there, which we can use uh, in, the, in the over the next many years. And, and Aaron, you said earlier that you were working in the provider and payer space. You know, how is how has COVID affected those two spaces? Obviously, providers are, are definitely on the front line of things. But have you seen a shift in in the way they're engaging Bain uh, to help them with the problems they're facing? I think we are. I think that you know, last spring they were engaging Bain, much like probably our clients across many of our industries, right, across many sectors, but thinking about what do we do immediately right now? And that might have been actually much more acute in the healthcare industry, right? Like, what do we do now um, when our operations and our traditional way of operating were so disrupted? And not to repeat what Todd just said, but I think it was clients engaging us to say, how do we manage it right now? And then us pushing our clients to say, okay, we've stabilized for right now. How do we plan for what's next? And for us, I think that within the practice, within the leadership team in the healthcare practice, I think that was a lot of thinking about how does this impact, how do we think it impacts the trends that we have already seen in healthcare? You know, does it reverse them? Does it accelerate them? And so, you know, in healthcare, We've seen longstanding trends towards shifts in sites of care delivery, right, to more outpatient sites, to ambulatory surgical centers, to urgent cares instead of in the hospital. So what do we think COVID is going to do about that? We think it's accelerated it, right? And we also know that it's made such a huge, tremendous push towards telemedicine. And so we're having question, we're having conversations with our clients. We've published on this. We've created IP. But like, so then what do we think happens with that going forward? What do we think happens with this huge surge in telemedicine that we've seen? And so... It's been a really interesting place to be able to weigh in both with our clients, but to your initial question, also just thinking about our IP and how we think about what's going to happen going forward. Yeah, and it's been really interesting because you're talking about it in the healthcare context, but the truth is it's telemedicine in healthcare and provider space, but in other sectors, being able to work remotely, engage with your customers remotely, it's the same problem. The context is different. And again, having that voice in the room that understands when you need to see the patient and put hands on the patient versus you know what can be done in an outpatient setting or in a telemedicine setting, et cetera, all becomes very relevant. Uh, it's a it's a similar problem with a different context. I'd also add that the, the framing that you gave around you know, what we're calling act now, plan now, um, also was something that we basically rolled out with all of our clients and said, you know, the first thing we need to do back in March and April was stabilize the situation and understand, you know, what we needed to do right now, one, to protect your employees, protect your stakeholders, and to sort of provide business continuity. But then we need to start planning <laughs> and, and because we don't know how long this could go on for, and we don't know what you're going to look like on the other side. Um, and it's not just about stabilizing now and acting now, but it's also about planning now and having a plan together. For both of you, I'd like to close by just asking you a question, uh, again, more focused at the people who are listening, but what advice would you give to advanced degree uh, students, people who are working professionals with advanced degrees that are thinking about a career in consulting and thinking about, you know, given the deep expertise that they had, you know, ways to maximize it. You know, if, if, if you were in their shoes right now, what would you be thinking about and what would you be considering? And maybe we'll start with Todd and, and Aaron, if you want to bring us home, that would be great. I usually give two pieces of advice to, to folks with advanced degrees thinking about consulting. Number one is just know yourself 
and really think through what makes you tick. What do you enjoy? I gave the example of I pick up a copy of Nature and, and read the entire thing. So very broad interests. And then that drove kind of how I got into consulting and, and then what I did in consulting. But then eventually I found I really do like healthcare. I have special expertise there. I want to go deep. So they're just listen, really think about yourself. You'll be much, much happier in the long run if you're able to design your own path given your particular interests. Yeah, and then the second piece of advice I give is be humble, you know, and, and realize that there is a lot to learn out there. You're never going to come in, you know, knowing more than than the other person in the room and they have there's going to be a lot that you can learn from them and then take to other places and and add value um you know and so in 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 that there's a lot of patience in being able to develop the depth and expertise in a particular area over many years to just accumulate and you know turbocharge the amount of value that you can bring to a particular situation you know i think if you add those two together you you end up in a good place great I think about, for me, just kind of my reflection on my transition back to Bain and what I think I have found particularly positive professionally in that transition back, because I think there was so much questioning on my part about whether that was the right decision at the time when I was practicing medicine. And I think for me, it is such a unique opportunity for me to use my expertise that I developed while I was studying and practicing medicine, right? To use that expertise in a way that is continually intellectually challenging for me. And yet I get to contribute to helping clients work on some of the most pressing issues in healthcare. And so I feel in this way, I get to have a bigger impact than I was when I was purely taking care of patients. And also I'm in an environment where not only I constantly learning also, and being challenged to learn beyond my expertise, right? I am accumulating the business knowledge that I did not necessarily come with because I did not do the MBA, right? But I'm accumulating that and I am becoming much more well-versed in that um, now. And so I'm in a place where I am continually learning, but I'm doing it with people who are interesting and kind and people that I generally enjoy being with. And so I think for me, those are the reasons, uh, the benefits at least of coming back. That's really great. And that's uh, that last part in particular resonates with me. It's it's not a reason just for coming back. It's also a reason a lot of us stay. Um, and so I, I completely, completely agree with both of you. Todd and Aaron, I want to thank you so much for a great conversation. It's always great to hear about different types of people and different journeys into and through Bain. And I really appreciate the expertise that you all are bringing, the depth that you're bringing, and the perspective you shared with our audience today. Thank you very much. Thanks everyone for tuning in to Beyond the Bio. If you'd like to share a review or give us input on what you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd really like to hear from you. Please email our inbox at beyondthebio at bain.com. We'll see you soon with some new episodes and thanks for listening.